In early December, we began this uh, mini-Advent series in Luke chapter 1, where we were preparing our hearts for the celebration of Christ's first coming. And Christmas 2023 has come, and Christmas 2023 has gone. So as sad as it is to say, it's time to take down the Christmas tree. It's time to make sure that you've finished all the Christmas leftovers. And it's time to say hello to 2024. But just before we welcome in the new year this evening, uh, I thought it would be good if we would do one final sermon in Luke's Gospel. Not chapter 1, but chapter 2. And we're going to look at this really important occasion from the early life of Jesus. An occasion that's often forgot about by many of us. And the purpose of this sermon is that it would help us prepare our hearts, not just for the new year, but for the second coming of Christ. And that this passage would help equip Viv and Elton as they seek to raise their children in the love, fear, and admonition of the Lord and any other parent, and indeed us as a covenant community. Now, the plan is to look at this, these verses in three headings. So first of all, we'll think about Jesus' presentation in the temple. Then we'll think about Jesus' encounter with Simeon. And then we'll think about Jesus' encounter with Anna. Now, it's fitting that we would be thinking about Jesus' dedication in the temple on the same morning we've had a baptism. This morning, we've, we've baptized a child, and we do what we always do. We explain what baptism means. We then baptize a child with water, the sprinkling of water in our church. And, and, and then we sang a song of blessing and prayed. Well, 2,000 years ago, the Jews, when a baby boy was born did things in a very Jewish way and in according with the law of Moses and the law of the Lord. If you want a background to what happened at the dedication of a boy in the temple, you could go and read Leviticus chapter 12 this afternoon. But in essence, this is what it says. It says, a mother who gives birth to a baby boy is unclean for the first seven days. And then on the eighth day, that mother and father would circumcise their firstborn son. The mother would then be unclean for another 33 days. And on the 40th day, or 32 days, and on the 40th day, the mother and the father would take their firstborn son to the temple and they would give an offering. You see, this was them handing their firstborn child over to the Lord, set apart, redeemed by him. And the offering that was to be given by any parent was a lamb, along with a bird. But if you were really poor, there was a provision in the law of Moses that you could either give two turtle doves or two pigeons. So 2,000 years ago, Mary and Joseph, on the eighth day, circumcised Jesus. And on the 40th day, they made their way up to Jerusalem to present Jesus in the temple. It was a service with a liturgy. Maybe something like the one we had this morning, you know, with a song and an explanation and a prayer. Now, what is really fascinating is that in Luke's gospel, he presents his account, and three times in verses, between verses 22 to 24, he stresses that everything that Mary and Joseph did was in accordance with the law of Moses or with the law of God. And his point is clear. 
Mary and Joseph were godly parents, committed to raising Jesus in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. Now, what looks really driving at as he tells us that Jesus was being presented at the table, at the temple, is that we need to understand he was not above the law, but he was born under the law. And the significance of that is that Jesus was the second Adam, come to do what the first Adam had failed to do, keep the law of God, live a life of perfect obedience. And so here we see at the very beginning of Jesus' life, his godly parents brought him up in the ways of the Lord. They were faithful in every way they could be. Now, Vivian Elton, as you bring up your children, you've got a a great example in Mary and Joseph. But one of the things I need to say to you and I need to say to every parent and every Christian in this room is the good news of the gospel is this. Not one of us, not even the cute baby, Endrick, (laughs) is perfect and will keep the law. But there is a saviour who kept the law perfectly. Hence the reason he could give himself as a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And as he took upon himself the sins of his people, he can impute to his people his perfect record of righteousness. That's the good news that every parent needs to raise their children in. The gospel. There is a saviour in Jesus. Now, there's one other thing I want to highlight from verses 22 through 24, and it's this. And, and this is truly staggering. Mary and Joseph did not have enough money to present a lamb and a bird for Jesus. They had to make use of the poor provision given in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, and they had to offer a sacrifice of two birds. And Luke, by drawing our attention to this fact, is once again reminding us of the condescension of Jesus. He left the glories of heaven to be born into the poverty of this world. Not just the poverty of a borrowed stable and the squalor of a manger. Not just the womb of a peasant teenager from Nazareth. But he was born into a home where they did not have enough money to purchase a lamb to give as an offering. And the reason that this is breathtaking is just remember who Jesus is. This is the one that the angel announced he is great. He is the son of the most high. His name shall be Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. And when Mary and Joseph presented Jesus at the temple, all they could give were two birds. But you know what's even more staggering than their offering? Is that God the Father was pleased to receive it. For his son to be set apart, to be consecrated as the firstborn, the Father was pleased to receive two birds. 
And that shows us once again the heart of our God. Our God is a humble and a gracious God. His heart is for the downtrodden and the poor and the oppressed. Jesus was not born into the palace of kings or queens. He was not even born into the comfort of middle-class parents. He was born into the poverty of peasants. And it's just a great reminder of what Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor. And, And poor in more ways than one. Not just poor economically speaking, but poor spiritually speaking. Because he took upon himself this spiritual bankruptcy of all of his people. And he paid their debt in full so that we could become rich in his grace and love. So that's Jesus' dedication or presentation, if you will, in the temple. But then we come to verse 25. And Jesus has this encounter with this old man called Simeon. And what's really fascinating about the way Luke presents this is it's as if he slows down everything that's been happening and he now wants us to just picture in our our mind's eye what happened that day in the temple. As Mary and Joseph were going about their business offering the sacrifice of two birds, at some point this old man who we read in verse 25 was a, a righteous man, a devout man, meaning he was godly. And then we're told he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, to console means to alleviate someone of grief or loss or trouble. And the great promise of, uh, or the great prophecy of Isaiah's comfort, comfort says your God. That there was coming one who would pay for the sins of God's people. And Simeon was one of those men who was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for God to come and deliver his people and to bring his consolation. And then the third thing Luke tells us about this old man Simeon is he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now don't miss this. God is on the move and it seems that everybody we encounter in the early chapters of Luke's gospel is filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth, Mary, Zechariah, John the Baptist. And now Simeon. And and the Holy Spirit, we're told in verse 26, revealed to Simeon that he would not see death before he seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. I don't know how this played out, but at some point Simeon said to the parents, listen, can I hold your child? And maybe at first Mary was a bit unsure. Who's this old chap who wants to hold my child? And she hands over baby Jesus in his swaddling cloths to Simeon. He begins blessing God. And this must have felt like deja vu. Everybody who encounters Jesus in the early chapters of Luke seems to bless God for Jesus. Now, the title of the sermon is Simeon's Song. This, in many ways, is not a song. Because 
There's no way he he sung this. This is just his words. But it, again, has a psalm-like structure. The first verse, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. is just a statement of fact. Simon said in front of Mary and Joseph and to Jesus, I can now die. I can now die in peace because you've been faithful to what you've said to me that I would see the Messiah before I depart earth. But what Simeon says next is truly incredible. As he holds the child Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Quite literally, he can look in the face of the Son of God and he sees his Savior. But with eyes of faith, it seems that Simeon in this swan song saw more. He saw with the eyes of faith how this baby was going to bring salvation. In fact, he's got such insight by the Holy Spirit, he makes it known that this child will not just bring salvation to Israel, but he will be a light for the Gentiles. This child in his hands, this little scrap, the Son of God, He is going to be the one who saves people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. One of my favorite theologians, George Smeaton, 19th century Scotch theologian, says there's very few people that you meet in the the before Christ or the early days of Christ who, who truly had insight into who Christ was. Simeon is top of the list. Now, how do we know he was top of the list? Because as he blesses the child Jesus, he then turns to Mary and Joseph, who are marveling at what Simeon had just said. And he blesses them. He's just given Mary this best news ever. This, this, this son of yours, he's going to bring salvation to the world. But then he says in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for he will be a sign that is opposed. Here's the bad news about what Jesus is going to face, Mary. Your son is going to divide this nation. Many are going to oppose him, reject him. He's come to save his own people, but they are going to kill him. Such is his insight that he speaks so personally to Mary. And you read it in verse 5 there. It's in parenthesis. He says to her, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. See that word sword there, it's the exact same word that is used in Luke chapter 23 and in John's gospel when we read about a spear being thrust into the side of Jesus. It's like as Simeon held Jesus and with the eyes of faith he saw into the future what Jesus would do and on the cross as he hung for his people's sins he knew that his mother Mary would stand at the foot of the cross. And as he bled and died, he knew that Mary would feel it within herself. Such is the Holy Spirit insight given to Simeon. Now that's Jesus and Mary and Joseph's encounter with Simeon. They've just been told the best news in the world, but, but just think as well, 
in some ways, this is the hardest news for Mary to take. This son who's been born to her is going to be a source of great inner pain as she one day see him die. She's going to have to live through all the rejection and opposition, but she's going to see him bleed and die. Now, do you remember when I was preaching on Mary going to see Elizabeth? I got so excited because God in his sweet providence provided someone to encourage Mary and to lift Mary's soul when she received the most glorious news ever. (laughs) Well, God does it again. Here's Mary, and and she just received the hardest news that any mother could ever take. And God, by his Holy Spirit, moves a prophetess called Anna, who's who's in her 84th year. She's had a life of suffering. She married a man, and seven years after their marriage, he died. Noteworthy, Luke describes her as a virgin. And added to that, she spent every single day of her life in the temple, praying and fasting, night and day. In other words, this is Luke's other way of saying, this woman was a godly woman, a devout woman, a woman who knew the heart and mind of her Lord. And like many others, like Simeon, she too was waiting for the redemption of God's people. And Luke says in verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, meaning at that very hour that Mary's received this difficult news, this old lady who knows a life of suffering and difficulty comes up and in Mary and Joseph's presence and in the presence of all these other godly people, she starts giving thanks to God, praising the Lord, blessing God and speaking of Jesus to all who are waiting for redemption. Now, don't you just love God's ways? Not only has he entrusted his son to this poor peasant couple, not only does he give them prophets and prophetesses to tell them what is to come, he gives them tailor-made people who will be able to truly bring the comfort of the Lord to bear upon them. Now, I want to say a couple of things here. One of the really striking things in Luke's gospel is this people God uses to accomplish his purposes. He uses young teenagers like Mary. And he uses old people like Elizabeth, Zechariah, Simeon, and Anna to accomplish his purposes. So it doesn't matter if you're in this church this morning, you're young. If you look to a new year, God's purposes, he delights to work through those of you who are, who are young at just the beginning of life. It doesn't matter if you're older in life and you feel perhaps, you know, that the, the majority of my life has now passed. God delights to use those who are older in years. But notice this, right? Mary and Joseph are known for their godliness. And Simeon and Anna are are marked by their godliness, uh, about their prayerful dependence, about their Holy Spirit 
empowered life. As we go into this new year, we should go into prayerful and dependent upon the Lord. I don't know what 2023 has been like for you, but my guess is that in this year you face some hard things, some trials, some difficulties. What if in God's all-wise purposes, he wants to redeem the trials that you've been through so that the comfort you've received from him, you might be able to give to others in the year that lies ahead. Anna's life was not a wasted life. Anna's life was the most purposeful life and God used it for the mother of the Messiah in the most perfect way. And so as we, as we prepare to say hello to the new year, church, let's think about our God who is so humble, who would give his son to be born into poverty so he could so identify with humanity at our weakest and at our worst. Let's think about the God who would receive two turtle doves or two pigeons as an offering for his son. And let's think how we could give him our all. That was the best that Mary and Joseph could give. Let's give him all of our lives. Because love's so amazing, love's so divine, it demands our life, our soul, our all. And no matter what age or stage you're at in life, as you walk in prayerful dependence and Holy Spirit reliance into this new year, let's go forth blessing and praising the Son who was pierced so that we could be forgiven. And let's use the comfort that we've received from him even in this year that's gone by to bring comfort and hope and love and peace and joy to those who God has given us. You know, this morning we've all made a promise that we're going to support Viv and Elton in raising their children. All of us have got something to give as God's people. doesn't matter if you're young. You could be a great role model and example. doesn't matter if you're old. In fact, one of the most beautiful things you could do is you could go take <laughs> the baby Hendrik in your arms this morning and you could bless God for him. Because children are a blessing from the Lord. So as we conclude this year, let's conclude thinking about how glorious our God is and how amazing it is that he invites us into his plans and purposes. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we are humbled by your humility. We are left dumbfounded at your love. You gave us your all. You gave us your very best. You gave us your one and only son. And God, we are sorry because so often we give you so little. So often, we, we even in the act of worship, we can give you careless, casual praise from our lips and from our lives where you are deserving consecrated lives and lips. 
And so as we, as we end this year together, we, we pray in, in, in light of all that you've done for us, in light of all that you've done in your son for us, we pray that we would enter this new year giving you all of ourselves because you are most worthy. God, we are humbled that by your Holy Spirit you love to work in your people and through your people for the good of your people. And so would we be a covenant community filled with Annas and Simeons, filled with Zechariahs and Elizabeths, filled with people who've got the, the love and the life, the spiritual life of faith that they had. Grant us insight this year into your word. Help us to see more than we've ever seen before. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.